it is perhaps one of the most reviled moments in cinema history. A scene so dumb, so over the top that it single-handedly killed a beloved movie franchise. And yet here we are, 15 years later, and I'm here to say that we were all wrong about the fridge scene. Welcome to Film Theory, the show that just really hates snakes. Like, why did it have to be snakes? So, are y'all hyped for Indiana Jones 5? No? Well, I'm not surprised. The franchise has definitely struggled to find its footing in the modern era. You see, Indiana Jones was huge when it was first introduced back in the 1980s. The brainchild of producer George Lucas, director Steven Spielberg, and movie star Harrison Ford. It was like the holy trinity of movies at the time. He had the guy behind Star Wars, the biggest director of the 20th century, and one of Hollywood's hottest, most recognizable stars. People loved these movies. And honestly, how could you not? They were perfect action adventures starring an archaeologist who traveled the world exploring tombs, punching Nazis, and teaching inappropriately flirty college students. You're a... a teacher? Part-time. The Indiana Jones trilogy was rock solid, and I don't know a single person who wasn't satisfied when Indiana's friends literally rode off into the sunset at the end of The Last Crusade, thereby cementing this character's legacy in cinema history forever. And then came the shameless cash grab. Greed gonna do what greed gonna do. And so in 2008, Lucas, Spielberg, and Ford re-teamed up for Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, bringing Indy out of retirement to play the hits, but with a twist. Fighting communists, reuniting with his first love, and introducing him to his son, played by Shia LaBeouf, which was a choice. He chose... Now, to say that fan reception to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was mixed would be one heck of an understatement. Let's start by renaming this film. We'll call it Indiana Jones and the Policy of No Refunds. How about Indiana Jones and the mystery of why this movie didn't work? Watching it again today with fresh eyes, I don't think it's the death of cinema like a lot of people said at the time, but it's certainly mid. It was completely unnecessary and most egregiously of all, just lost the spirit of the originals. For a ton of people, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was where the franchise jumped the shark, where the fun adventure storytelling became too silly, too irreverent, too unrealistic. And if I were to bet what happened here, the fact that Lucas and Spielberg were suddenly able to use CGI, no longer tethered to what could be done practically, yeah, I think that was what was to blame here. It's almost like it's a pattern with some of these guys. All of a sudden, this very grounded series became more like a video game than the old serials that they were inspired by. This is a movie where Shia LaBeouf swings with monkeys. A guy gets eaten alive by ants. Aliens melt the villain's brain using mind bullets. Oh, you heard me. Mind bullets. But of them all, one scene stood out as the moment that the franchise died. The moment that it went past the point of no return. I'm talking, of course, about the fridge scene. Since this movie was released 15 years, years ago, which means that maybe you've been spared from this. Let me explain. At the climax of the film's opening set piece, Indy is on the run from several Soviet spies at a U.S. military base in the 1950s. He ducks into a neighborhood to hide from the Ruskies, but soon realizes that something's not quite right. This village is filled with mannequins, not people. If you've ever played Call of Duty Black Ops, you'll immediately recognize this as a doom town, a fake neighborhood constructed near nuclear blast sites to see
see how atomic bombs affect the average American. Basically, it was built to get blown up. Suddenly, Indy hears an alarm blaring in the distance. Realizing his predicament, Indy hides himself in a conveniently lead-lined refrigerator to save himself from nuclear annihilation. As the bomb goes off, he's blasted away from ground zero, safely crashing just far enough beyond the blast radius to pose for a real cool shot before he moves on with the rest of the movie. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I can absolutely see why this one shattered the audience's suspension of disbelief. Surviving a nuclear explosion with your only protection being a refrigerator? Yeah, it was so ridiculous that it coined a new term that was even worse than jumping the shark. Nuking the fridge. In retrospect, I think a lot of the filmmakers realized that this was just too much, with Spielberg himself personally taking the blame for this, quote, silly scene back in 2011. George Lucas, however, insisted a year later in a New York Times interview that he was the one who actually came up with the idea. As his story went, Lucas drafted up a six-inch thick dossier of research demonstrating that, quote, the odds of surviving that refrigerator from a lot of scientists are about 50-50. Okay, well, sometimes science is more art than science, Morty. A lot of people don't get that. Of course, that dossier has never been made public. Believe me, I looked. And so you know me, loyal theorists, I can't just take a filmmaker's word on something. When you make a bold claim like, oh, Indy would have survived that stupid unrealistic atomic bomb scene, I need to run the numbers. So let's just end this debate once and for all. Could Indiana Jones have survived nuking the fridge? I'm gonna be 100% honest with you the answer will absolutely shock you. But even more surprising than the answer is how we're gonna get there. So grab your whips and tip those fedoras, it's time to swing into it. First, we need to set some parameters around our fridge and our bomb. The type of fridge that's used in the movie is a King Cool standalone refrigerator, but since this was a fictional brand created entirely for the movie, obviously there wasn't any hard information about its dimensions and makeup. So instead, we pulled out our classic theorist pixel rulers and got to measuring. Harrison Ford is six foot one inch tall. Using that information, I was able to determine that the fridge was roughly 4.69 feet or 143 centimeters tall and 2.61 feet or about 80 centimeters wide. We're going to be assuming that it's roughly as deep as it is wide to get a nice even rectangular prism. Older fridges like this were made of steel and were insulated with either asbestos or fiberglass. The standard for insulation in a refrigerator like this was about one inch, so we're going to be using that for our numbers today. That being said, we should also mention that the movie goes out of its way to focus on a shot saying that the fridge is quote, lead-lined for superior insulation. This is uh, actually kind of ridiculous for a home refrigerator, which we're gonna see in the numbers here in a minute, but for now, we're just gonna run with it. Okay, so now that we know the fridge we're talking about, let's talk about the other main factor here, the bomb, specifically how powerful it is. Though it's easy to think that a nuke is a nuke is a nuke and that being so close to one would instantly vaporize anyone, that isn't necessarily the case. This is where I gotta give old Georgie boy a point. Though you'd be hard pressed to survive a nuclear explosion at ground zero if you're a little bit away from it, even as close as we see the explosion in this movie, it's not impossible. For as much as we think of dropping an atomic bomb as resulting in the complete decimation of a city, hundreds of thousands of people survived the bombings in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, so it can be done. There's just a lot of variables affecting this sort of thing. So, just how powerful is the bomb that we see in Indiana Jones? We can actually approximate that thanks to military records. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull takes place in Nevada in 1957, which happens to be the exact time and place where the US government was undergoing Operation Plum Bob, a series of 29 explosive nuclear tests with bombs placed on the ground, in balloons, underground, and, as we see in the movie, in towers. Now, you might be wondering why they'd want to test bombs in the air with balloons and towers, but detonating them in the air is a way that militaries will maximize the destructive energy of an explosion. Well, in the air, the bomb's energy is distributed over a wider area, meaning that you're likely dealing more total damage on the ground. This is a concept known as an airburst, and again, it was the way that the bombs were detonated over Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Anyway, since we know that the bomb in Indiana Jones was on a tower, this then narrows down 
down our list of candidates. Comparing the size and shape of the mushroom cloud in the film to footage captured from Operation Plumbob, the explosion most closely resembles that from a nuke codenamed Smokey, which had itself a yield of 44 kilotons. That's equal to 44,000 tons of TNT, and it was detonated atop a 700-foot tower. Additionally, the Smokey test occurred right here, just a few miles away from Area 51. Given the comically large 51 on the hangar doors that Indy's escaping from, this intro is obviously supposed to take place there. So it's feasible that Indy would have been able to make his way to the Smokey detonation site through the desert on foot while escaping the Soviets. Also, I couldn't find any evidence of Operation Plumbob using any Doom Towns during the experiments. It seems like something that they just added into the movie. So we're gonna be taking data from Doom Towns used in earlier 1955 tests as a stand-in. Structures for these tests were built approximately one mile, or 1.61 kilometers, away from Ground Zero, which again, lines up nicely with what we can eyeball from this scene in the film. So now that we know all of that, it's time to figure out if Indy could have survived. When it comes to death by atomic bomb, there are three main things that we need to worry about. The heat of the explosion, the blast wave that the explosion makes, and the radiation that's left behind. So let's just start off with the heat. When a bomb like this explodes, it releases a ton of thermal radiation. Like, a lot, a lot. The fireballs from these nuclear explosions can reach temperatures equivalent to the interior of the sun, about 100 million degrees Celsius. But the farther away you get from the center, the less intense that that heat becomes, and it falls off fast. According to the online tool NukeMap, anyone within 2 miles, or 3.21 kilometers of the explosion, would have a 100% chance of getting third-degree burns. That said, if you were, say, inside of a building or an appliance that was shielding you from all that, it would actually be far less intense and entirely survivable. Case in point, a woman named Akiko Takakura survived the Hiroshima bombing when she was just 300 meters away from the bomb's hypocenter. Much, much closer than our 5,280 feet, or 1.61 kilometer distance in Indiana Jones. How'd she get so lucky? She was actually inside of a bank, and though she was burned, the building shielded her from the worst of the effects, and it saved her life. And if we want more proof from an even more applicable situation, during the test of the 29 kiloton Apple II bomb in 1955, a Frigidaire chest freezer full of food was placed in a concrete home just 0.89 miles, or 1.43 kilometers from ground zero. When scientists were able to move in and examine the damage, they found that the freezer and the food were relatively unharmed. In fact, when they later plugged the freezer in, it still worked, all after being less than a mile from the nuke. So all in all, it is feasible that Indy could have beaten the heat inside of that fridge. So what then about the actual forces and shock waves created by the explosion? For these sorts of incredibly powerful nuclear bombs, the blast wave from the explosion tends to work in three stages. First, there's the static overpressure, which is the initial shock wave that radiates out from the blast. It is by far the weakest of the three. Then you have yourself the dynamic overpressure, which is the big old gust of wind that blows things away in all the videos that you tend to see coming out of these sorts of tests. This is caused by air literally being pushed away from ground zero by the power of the explosion. The dynamic overpressure is by far the worst of the three waves. Finally, we have the receding flow, another gust of wind that goes in the opposite direction as air rushes in to fill the temporary vacuum created by the explosion, pushing all the air out of the way. So how powerful would these blast waves be for a 44 kiloton nuke? Again, looking back at nuke map, the worst of it would be in the range of 0.81 miles where the overpressure would be up to 20 PSI, resulting in wind blasts up to 500 miles an hour. That is 805 kilometers an hour. But again, once you're outside of that zone, things drop off fast. In Indy's case, we've established that the doom town is a bit outside the range, one mile away. So the overpressure there would only be 5 PSI, resulting in blast winds that are 163 miles an hour or 262 kilometers an hour. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Don't get me wrong, that is still the equivalent of a Category 5 hurricane, but it is nearly five times less what it could have been. So, with air speeds like that, could the blast wave have launched the refrigerator like we see in the movie? No, definitely not like we see in the movie. In the movie, the fridge is launched so fast that it literally outruns the blast wave that sent it flying in the first place. That right there, it just makes no scientific sense. But in general, would the acceleration have rocketed Indy with enough force to damage his body? To find that number, we're gonna need to figure out the acceleration that's put upon the refrigerator by the explosion. And to do that, we use the classic equation FMA, or force equals mass times acceleration. If we switch that equation around a bit, it becomes acceleration equals force divided by mass. Thankfully, we can figure out both the mass and the force using other information from the film, so let's just start off with mass. An average steel refrigerator weighs only about 250 pounds, or 113 kilograms. Indy was roughly 60 during the events of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and the average weight of a 60-year-old man is roughly 195 pounds, or 88.5 kilos. But we also have to remember that this isn't just any refrigerator, this one is lined with lead for that superior insulation. And let me tell ya, lead is heavy. If there was a one inch sheet of lead on every side of this fridge, that would add an additional 3,717 pounds or 1,686 kilos right there, totaling out at 4,162 pounds or 1,888 kilograms when accounting for the steel and indie inside of it. Yeah, all of that lead adds up fast. Because of 4,000 pound refrigerator is just a wee bit ridiculous. I also ran the numbers for a much more reasonable one-tenth of an inch of lead lining for this thing, which resulted in a total weight of 817 pounds, or 370 and a half kilograms. Spoiler alert, in the end, it didn't make that much of a difference. For force, we found the number using the wind speed and the area of the refrigerator. I'm not gonna bore you with all the numbers here, but basically we use this equation for force with drag, and then we use the airspeed of the atomic blast. In the end, the fridge experiences the equivalent of 1.46 Gs of force. That's honestly not a lot. Ironically, the immense weight of a lead-lined fridge is the thing that ultimately saves him. Even with our much, much smaller and more reasonable tenth of an inch of lead-lining number, the G-Forces Indy experiences would only come out to 7.5 Gs, a bit higher than some intense roller coasters. Most humans can withstand 4 to 6 Gs pretty easily. Fighter pilots are trained to withstand up to 9 Gs for a couple of seconds. While sustained G-Forces this high would absolutely be fatal, the fridge is only flying for about 11 seconds in the movie, likely not enough to actually kill him. Would he be uncomfortable? Absolutely. But ultimately, it seems like the forceful flight in the fridge would be survivable. So that is surprisingly two for two. But then what about our third killer, radiation? Atomic bombs release an intense amount of radiation that can be fatal to all those within range without any protection. This might actually be the most deadly thing for Indy in this situation. Though thin amounts of lead are able to block between 90 and 99% of low-level radiation, even a foot of lead would be unable to completely block the most dangerous gamma rays that are released by these sorts of atomic bombs. That said, it doesn't necessarily mean that all this is impossible for Indy. See, the most deadly radiation from these sorts of bombs are released in a very small area, and according to NukeMap, the immediately fatal dose of radiation for the smoky explosion would have only been within 1.59 kilometers. Just 
barely below the 1.61 kilometer distance that Indy's fridge starts at. And considering that it got pushed away from ground zero by the blast wave, he would have ended up even further away. Additionally, Indy and the fridge starting out inside of a house would have done them a lot of good. Remember that Frigidaire freezer that survived the blast of one of these atomic tests and still worked? Well, like I said, there was food inside of that fridge as part of the test. And when scientists examined the food, they found no traces of radiation inside of it. In fact, the food was declared safe for human consumption, and in celebration, people ate it. It turns out that the building it was in took the brunt of the radiation and shielded everything inside. Now, to be fair, the building was made of concrete, whereas the one in the movie looks like it's made of more traditional stuff like woods and metals, but that would still do something to block the radiation. Without a doubt, Indy would have had some long-term side effects from the bomb, developing cancer later on in his life at minimum, but for our purposes today, it's plausible that he survived the radiation too. So, believe it or not, and I can't believe I'm saying it, but George Lucas wasn't entirely wrong here. Indiana Jones could have feasibly survived this nuclear explosion inside of a refrigerator like we see in the movie. Now, don't get me wrong, a lot of things would have needed to go Indy's way. A lot of things. And it is still a very, very stupid scene. But by the numbers, it's not impossible. The whole experts say it be 50-50 thing is kind of plausible. And yet, the twist in all of this is that Indy would still be guaranteed to die. No, the nuclear bomb explosion might not have killed him, but the refrigerator would have. See, refrigerators used to be very dangerous. They're designed to be airtight to keep the contents inside colder and fresher for longer. But that also means that if someone were to spend any extended amount of time inside of a fridge, they'd suffocate to death. This right here is known as refrigerator death. These days, it's not as big of a threat because modern refrigerators use magnetism to keep their doors closed, but back when refrigerators were first hitting the market, it was a massive public threat. Early models of refrigerators were sealed using mechanical latches on the outside of the door, meaning that they could only be opened from the outside using that latch. This led to a lot of tragic deaths, especially when children would hide inside of them. Between January 1954 and June 1956, there were 54 reported cases of children becoming trapped inside of household refrigerators. Of those, 39 died of asphyxiation. This led to massive outcry from the American people, and decades of public service announcements warning kids about the dangers of these sorts of fridges. Oh, here they come again. And I'm frightened because a child can become trapped in me and suffocate in 10 minutes. Even G.I. Joe got in on the action. Oh no, check that old refrigerator. Condo. Eventually, this outcry led the American government to pass the Refrigerator Safety Act of 1956, making it illegal to manufacture and sell fridges that couldn't be opened from the inside. And so you can probably see where I'm going with this. See, it's more likely than not that this fridge that Indy steps into wouldn't have been able to open from the inside, turning this thing from his saving grace into his coffin. Now, before some of you call out that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull takes place in 1957, and that the Refrigerator Safety Act was passed one year earlier in 1956, remember that every fridge in the country didn't just immediately switch over. Deciphering the legalese here, you'll see that the changeover on the fridges didn't go into effect until October 30th of 1958, a full year after the events of the movie. We can even see Indy pulling a latch to open the fridge, proving that it was one of these older models. So, there you have it. Indy had a better chance at surviving an atomic blast than he did of surviving the fridge. All the heat, radiation, and blast waves in the world didn't matter. The minute he stepped into that fridge and shut the door, he was a dead man. But hey, that's just a theory. A film theory. And cuts.